This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Case file O-026, designation The Ring. The ring in question is black, carved and shaped from an unknown substance. Whatever it is, it's metallic, but not magnetic. The ring itself is perfectly balanced. When placed on its side and spun, it will naturally cease turning in time, but unlike other objects, will hardly ever fall onto its side. There are no distinguishing marks on either the interior or exterior of the band. There is a long and sordid history of magic rings across the story of mankind. In the second book of the Republic, Plato writes of the Ring of Gyges, which apparently conferred upon the user the gift of invisibility. In esoteric Judaism, one finds mention of magic rings in the Talmud, the Midrash, and the Zohar. There's the fabled Nibelun, called Anverianot, in the Saga of the Volsungs, which invites disaster upon whoever possesses it. In my own childhood, I became well-versed in rings through the various rings of Solomon that appeared throughout the Arabian Nights. They were numerous, and more often than not were used to imprison or simply to control those mischievous creatures called jinn. <clears throat> now, the ring in this case is one of the oldest items in the Scarab Archives, with the tag attached saying that it was collected from the field on June 16th, 1993. I've poured over the records, and as far as I can tell, there are only three other items that might have been in the archives longer. To be perfectly honest, I think I've been assigned to look at the ring solely to determine if it still even has a place in the archives at all. When I saw that it was on the docket, I immediately thought about passing it off to Miss Thalo, but... And something occurred to me, something I read in the book, that forbidden tome of information regarding the five great evils, something about the entity known as the corruption of the innocent, using small, unassuming pieces of jewelry as vessels. In any case, I'm going to go back over these notes myself. If there's a connection, I'll find it. Now, let's see. The ring was... Found amongst the possessions of the late Wyndham Bellingrath of Darnell, North Dakota, late of New York City. Bellingrath considered the ring important enough to get a special mention in his will with his final wish that it be destroyed. Luckily for the Foundation, the executor of Bellingrath's will kept a number of his possessions to sell for his own profit, the ring being among them. A Foundation representative stumbled upon the ring while examining other items, one of which was a locked box that ended up containing Bellingrath's exhaustive notes on his personal history with the relic. After reading the notes, the representative purchased the ring and relocated it to the archives for future study. According to Bellingrath's notes, the ring was purchased from a local bazaar in the city of Baghdad circa 1973. The shopkeeper who sold the ring was a local pariah, 
believed by most of his neighbors to be a majnun, a madman. He impressed upon Mr. Bellingrath that the ring was in fact the very one from the tale of Aladdin, as told in the Arabian Nights, <laughs> and as such contained a moderately powerful djinn. The shopkeeper impressed upon Mr. Bellingrath that the ring could in fact grant the heart's desire, but rarely to the owner's expectations. His parting words to Bellingrath after the purchase of the ring apparently made such an impression that Bellingrath wrote them down, remembered verbatim all these years later. Kulama Zadat Aragabat, Kulama Zad Algier. Roughly translated, the greater the desire, the greater the price. Now, Wyndham Bellingrath was not what you'd consider to be the best of men. He was a ruthless oil tycoon, known by those who worked both beside him and under him as a man enslaved to his own greed. By the time he purchased and began wearing his ring, he had already purchased and destroyed several smaller firms in the pursuit of growing his own brand of oil production. As the years went by and Bellingrath's personal value increased, those familiar with other items in the archive might assume that the ring had something to do with it. Unfortunately, despite exhaustive research into the matter, no direct correlation can be found between Bellingrath's business successes and his acquisition of an apparent wish-granting magic ring. Simple, good old-fashioned ruthlessness and classical American greed allowed Bellingrath to become a titan of industry. But as Bellingrath grew older, he began to realize that there was indeed something that his wealth could not buy. A legacy. Someone to carry on everything he'd worked for. And so, one night, sometime in 1986, Wyndham Bellingrath caressed the ring on his finger and wished for a child. The following year was a whirlwind for the businessman. He met a woman, the daughter of another magnate, and the two quickly fell in love and married. Within weeks of the marriage, the new Mrs. Bellingrath was quick with child. Didn't waste any time, did they? And nine months later, delivered a perfectly healthy baby boy. As Bellingrath writes, these were the happiest three years of his life. He felt joys he'd never believed possible. It was everything he'd ever wished for. The greater the desire, the greater the price. On June 9th, 1989, Julia Sterling Bellingrath was killed by a drunk driver as she returned home from her weekly tennis lesson. Less than a month later, Liam Bellingrath was rushed to the hospital, suffering from an unknown ailment. The process took months. Long, drawn-out, painful months. The doctors were never able to definitively determine the exact nature of the child's ailment. His health would appear to bounce back and forth from miracle recovery to near death on a seemingly weekly basis. It was almost like the unknown disease was toying with Bellingrath and the doctors, giving them false hope and then tearing it away. The day after young Liam finally mercifully passed away, one young doctor finally found a single other case of the disease in the whole of human history. A young prince, the son of a powerful sultan, circa the 5th century. Bellingrath suffered a nightmare the night before his son's funeral. 
I'm going to read his description verbatim as no summation of mine could possibly measure up to what he witnessed. <clears throat> In the dream, I was soaring across the sands of a vast and endless desert. I could sense everything. The heat of the sun on my skin, the roar of the wind in my ears. Before long, I found myself over a gleaming city of gold. The city was deathly quiet, and as I was carried closer, I saw the reason why. It was a tomb. A city of the dead. The streets were filled by a river of rotting corpses. They poured from the windows, were strewn about the marketplace. I could see no sign of violence, no obvious reason for an entire city to perish in such a way. I was carried to the Grand Palace, a structure of such aching beauty and artistry that I nearly wept from the sight. Standing on the balcony of the highest tower, looking over his domain of the deceased, I saw a man dressed in flowing red and black silk. The hair beneath his headscarf was long and unkempt, like it hadn't been groomed in weeks, perhaps months. His held clutched to his chest a small bundle delicately wrapped in golden cloth. I was brought closer, and I could see the deep edgings of tears in this man's face. He whispered a single sentence to me, then stepped over the railing and cast himself to the ocean of carrion below. I was made to follow, and just before the arms of the dead opened wide to accept us, I saw the black band on his finger. The sight of it made me scream myself awake, the echo of the ancient sultan's words echoing in my head. Kaluma Zadat Argrabat, Kaluma Zad Algier. The greater the desire, the greater the price. According to Bellingrath's notes, he removed the ring during his son's funeral and placed it in the casket before it was buried. It was waiting for him on his desk when he returned home that evening. Bellingrath never wore the ring again, nor would he allow it to pass into another's hands. He kept it close, an apparent reminder of everything he'd gained and lost. It was only when he felt his own death approaching that he decided the ring had to be destroyed. After the ring's acquisition by the Foundation, resident historians delve deeper into the case of the mysterious illness in hopes of corresponding it with Bellingrath's nightmare. Their research uncovered the legend of the lost city of the cursed Sultan Ragba al-Adin, who, according to the stories, rose to prominence and power by defeating a magician and was ultimately undone by a mischievous jinn. The Lazarus Foundation, like myself, believed that given the corruptive nature of the ring, it might be tied to the corruption of the innocent. However, upon looking back over these notes, this record, I have my doubts. I think, perhaps, the Foundation might have acquired the wrong piece of jewelry. I mean, wouldn't a relic with this amount of power have, I don't know, done something in the past few decades? Claimed a new owner? No. I think the far more likely explanation is that Mr. Bellingrath, in his grief, found another ring in his office and mistook it for the band that had brought him so much joy and then so much pain. It's my belief that the actual ring, which indeed might have been connected to the corruption of the innocent, likely was connected to the corruption of the innocent, 
currently lies safely in a child's grave in upstate New York, where, hopefully, it's beyond the reach of any who could use it for harm. Let the record show that I have determined this particular item no longer has need of storage in the Scarab archives. Now, what to do with it? No instructions from Stewart on that end. Just throw it away. Seems like a waste. And what are the waste disposal techniques of the Scarab Archives? Hmm. You know, I wonder. She has been a tremendous help these past few weeks. I wonder if Miss Thalo likes jewelry. <laughs> 